Today is April 8th, 2020. We have been in quarantine for roughly nine years now. Welcome to Quarantinema, aka Quarantinema, the only podcast where even the host doesn't know how to say the name of the actual show itself. Hope everyone out there is doing well. Uh, I know things are still the same. (laughs) I can't tell you how many Zoom conversations I've had with uh, friends and family and uh, you know, someone reaches out to you and they're just like, oh, hey, like, how are you? And the answer is just fine. <laughs> and it's everyone feels the exact same way right now. So let's do ourselves a favor and let's just stop asking how we're all doing. Uh, that could be great. I've actually been better myself. Uh, I've been uh, working out in my apartment uh, recently, just doing some cardio on the stairs uh, in the building here. Uh, we got about five uh, five levels uh, to the building itself, so I've just been doing uh, laps up the stairs for about a uh, half hour, 45 minutes every day or so. And yesterday, as I was going down on my last lap, uh, something just kind of tweaked in my back. So in addition to being quarantined, I am also immobile at the moment, <laughs> uh, which is great, which is going to make... Lying around and watching movies that much easier. So if anything, I did the heroic thing by hurting myself, thus not hurting others. You're welcome, America and quarantine, my listeners. So in today's episode, we're going to be talking about All the President's Men from 1976. Uh, It's one of the oldest movies in my actual collection itself. Uh, Not the oldest, the oldest goes to American Graffiti, which we will be talking about next week. Uh, But yeah, All the President's Men got Dustin Hoffman. Uh, Robert Redford, that's the story of Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein and their uncovering of the Watergate scandal through the Washington Post. Uh, it's it's a classic uh, film. I haven't watched it in a long time. Before we get into that, I just want to highlight another movie that I want to recommend to all of you guys. Uh, my girlfriend and I, last night, we sat on the couch and we watched Onward, the new Pixar movie. It's available on Disney+. Plus. It would have been in theaters if not for everything that's going on, so Disney was nice enough to... Uh, put it out there for uh, no no rent, no you don't got to buy it, you don't got to rent it or anything. You just need a Disney Plus subscription. Uh, but I I haven't liked the Pixar movie that much in a long time. It was funny, it was heartfelt, and uh, I at the end I kind of cried like a little bitch. When I say cried like a little bitch, I'm not talking about like I teared up a little bit. Like I was actively sniffling <laughs> uh, myself through. So I don't cry at a lot of movies, but. Onward struck something deep with me. I don't know what it was. It's just a just a beautiful movie. Uh, great vocal performances by Tom Holland and uh, Chris Pratt in that movie. I if you have Disney Plus, go give it a watch. You're not doing anything else. Okay, so uh, let's get into all the president's men uh, real quick. Uh, quick background about the movie. It's directed by Alan J. Pakula. Pakula, maybe I'm not 100% sure how to say the name. Uh, he's directed a couple other classics, uh, Sophie's Choice, The Pelican Brief, uh, The Parallax View. Uh, one thing that I thought was actually interesting about uh, his history, uh, he's a three-time Academy Award nominee. Never won, uh, but he's been nominated uh, for three Academy Awards, and each movie he was nominated for, he was nominated in a different category, if that makes sense. Uh, he was nominated uh, for Best Picture as a producer on To Kill a Mockingbird. Uh, then he was nominated for Best Director for All the President's Men, and then a couple of years later he was voted for what is now the equivalent of Best Adapted Screenplay uh, for Sophie's Choice. I, I haven't seen To Kill a Mockingbird in a long, long time. I saw it 
in like middle school and it was back when they made us all read the book so there, do you ever hear that notion that all middle school kids have to read To Kill a Mockingbird because one day when you grow up everyone will have read To Kill a Mockingbird I don't know if that's true or not but either way I haven't watched the movie in a long time uh, Sophie's Choice I've heard of it I admit I've never seen it before um, but moving right along movie was written by William Goldman uh, who actually won uh, it's not best adapted screenplay back in 1977 when he won this award uh, the category was called best writing screenplay based on material from another medium probably made more sense to cut that down to adapted screenplay so that you can engrave that on the trophy and actually be able to read it uh, but he also wrote a couple other classics, including Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid and Marathon Man. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, starring Robert Redford, who is one of the stars in this movie. He stars as Bob Woodward. And he's just, they, they don't make hair like Robert Redford's anymore. It's just beautiful. Some nice strawberry blonde locks. Uh, Dustin Hoffman, also at the top of his game. Uh, back in that 60s, 70s era, that was his, you know. Uh, he had Kramer vs. Kramer and Tootsie and... Uh, but I think we can all agree that Dustin Hoffman's best performance uh, came many years later in a little film called Meet the Fockers. The uh, movie also stars Jane Alexander, uh, who was nominated for an Oscar for this. It also stars Jason Robards, who won an Academy Award for this picture. He's actually won two uh, Oscars in his life. Uh, he's been nominated for three. Uh, it's also got an early role for Hal Holbrook. Many of you know him from Into the Wild, which we're going to be talking about uh couple of months from now it's a little ways down the list uh, into the wild but i'm excited to watch that one again uh and he's just been a working actor for years 135 credits on imdb uh you've seen him in tv shows like the sopranos and the west wing and sons of anarchy and uh it's also got an, uh, an early role for i believe it's dominic chenice chenice aka junior soprano from the sopranos early role for him the movie itself it's not about Watergate per se. It's about uh, Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein's process of them finding the story that you know unraveled Watergate to what it became. So it's a very culturally significant movie. It only came out less than two years after the actual Watergate scandal itself, or after Nixon resigned. So naturally, you can assume you know how timely a movie like this was. Kind of, I, I can obviously I wasn't alive back in the 70s, so maybe the movie itself doesn't hold as much weight to me as it does to, say, an older generation, my parents, for example. Uh, I think something similar to this would be uh, probably Zero Dark Thirty. It's a big-budget movie about something that just happened in American history. Uh, you know, think about, uh, how, think about how fresh the story of finding and capturing uh, Osama bin Laden was at the, when Zero Dark Thirty came out. This is kind of the same thing uh, with Watergate and all the President's Men. Uh, it's a very uh, it, it's a very good movie, very well written. It is a little long. It clocks in at about 2.20, uh, which, if I sound a little sluggish, I watched this movie pretty late at night and not realizing how long it was. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put that on me. Hand up. That's my fault. This, this really is a great movie. I remember the first time I saw it, uh, I saw it, I think, okay, so I think I've seen this movie twice uh, in my life. I haven't watched this one in years. I've owned it for a long time. Uh, the first time I saw it was in 20th Century Studies, back in sophomore year of high school. We were learning about Watergate and all that stuff, 
and they put this movie on for us, and we were able to kill about three days' worth of class uh, but just by watching this movie. Uh, the second time we saw it, I believe it was, I was taking a journalism class or something like that uh, back in college, Michigan State University, go green. But yeah, so we had to watch this movie for a class, and then I had to write a paper about it, uh, and in the process of doing that, I bought the movie, put it on my shelf, and I haven't picked it up since then, uh, until tonight, so been a long time since I've actually seen this movie. Uh, it's much slower than I remember it being. Uh, you know, the first time I saw it, I was like on the edge of my seat the whole time, uh, just trying to, you know, unravel what happened. Uh, but maybe some, some of that's actually political scandal fatigue. I really don't want to get into po- politics on here. It's, you know, I don't want it to be that type of show. I don't want to bitch about that kind of stuff. But we all know exactly what I'm talking about just watching a movie about it that takes place in the seventies and it's much slower and it's a buildup. Uh, this whole movie is this big buildup and you're waiting for the story to drop and everything happens. And you know, it's this big grand finale and that just doesn't happen, but it's kind of, it, it, as far as the story is concerned, it's probably the right thing to do. Uh, I, again, they won an Oscar for the screenplay on this movie. Uh, but at the same time as the viewer, it's just a little like, anticlimactic, uh, so to speak. Uh, this was a highly influential movie uh, at the time, and it, it still is today. You know, I, we already kind of discussed Zero Dark Thirty and how that's got some parallels to it. Uh, but also look at a movie like Spotlight. It came out a couple years ago. Uh, one Best Picture was a, a movie about the Boston Globe doing some homework, rolling up their sleeves, doing some good blue-collar journalism and uh, kind of uncovering the Catholic Church uh, scandals from the early 2000s. And uh, it's a movie where you really just see how journalism works between talking to sources and, uh, you know, their methods that they're using to get their information and how they want to do all this. And that's what's kind of cool about the movie is you're seeing all these tricks that they're doing. Again, it's not just a movie about Watergate. It's a story about the journalists that made Watergate what it was uh, by discovering the whole thing. There are a couple uh, notable scenes uh, in the movie that you've probably seen parodied over the years. Uh, The biggest one that comes to mind is uh, the deep throat scenes. If you haven't seen this movie, it's not what you think, I promise. Uh, But deep throat, uh, you know, he's the guy in the FBI who, uh, at the end of his life, I believe, he wrote a book or something and admitted that he was deep throat. He was the deputy director of the FBI or something like that. You don't know that in this movie. But uh, Hal Holbrook plays Deep Throat, uh, very early Hal Holbrook. And Hal Holbrook's like this kind of guy. If you've seen him, you'll recognize him. He's in so many things. Uh, But he's just kind of the old man (laughs) uh, in a lot of roles that he plays. The old man who inevitably will die. Uh, But in this movie, you know, he's a young guy. But you don't really get to see his face. And, you know, he's... Being very, he's a cool character. Um, the best scenes in the movie are the scenes between uh, him and Robert Redford's character. Uh, they meet three times throughout the movie. The first time, it's, you know, Deep Throat, his whole thing is that he wants to help them uh, unravel the story, but he doesn't necessarily want to, you know, answer questions about it. Uh, he'll basically confirm anything that they find, but anything, but anything they ask him about, he's not going to give them a straight answer. Uh, or lead them in the right direction, so to speak. So uh, it's kind of cool to see them establish the ground rules. Uh, the second time, he, you know, it's more of the same. He's not really giving them anything to work with. So the third time uh, the characters meet, uh, it's in the final act of the movie. Uh, 
paranoia has built up at this point. Uh, the reporters think that they're being followed, and a lot of the interviewees that they talk to think that uh, they're being followed, and it's this whole political, you know, cover-up, and, you know, it's just max paranoia from both characters right now, and then all of a sudden, like, this car goes off in the distance, and just like that, Deep Throat was gone. Uh, I will say, as cool as those scenes are, it is really unfortunate that such a significant character in American history was named Deep Throat, and that name has not aged well. Like, I don't want to do it on my computer right now. Actually, you know what? I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to Google Deep Throat and see what comes up. This is a 50-50 gamble. It's either going to be something about Watergate or porn. And the answer is... No, would you look at that? It was, uh, it was Watergate. It was Watergate. So the good news is that when you Google Deep Throat, uh, the Wikipedia page pops up for who Deep Throat was and whatnot. The second thing that comes up is a link to a Wikipedia page about a 1972 American pornographic film that was the forefront of the golden age of porn, uh, entitled Deep Throat. Can't say that I've seen it, uh, but I probably get the gist. Anyway, so uh, as I mentioned earlier, this movie, it's tough for me to give an honest review on because I obviously wasn't around in the 70s, so I it's tough for me to, you know, it didn't impact me the same way that this would have impacted thousands of people when it originally came out. I definitely see, um, you know, the writing's really good. The editing is really tight, uh, for especially for a movie that's two and a half hours. Um, it's very well done. There are some really, really cool sequences uh, in this movie. The performances are great from everyone all around. My biggest flaw with the movie is, again, the runtime, 220s, just... There, there's so many characters and so many names that you have to keep track of. And I get, like, that's what, you know, the journalists were, go were digging through to kind of uncover the story. But at the same time, it just doesn't make for an optimal viewing uh, experience. I It just doesn't hit me from an I enjoy this film uh, kind of standpoint, if that makes sense. I would not necessarily sit around on my couch and watch this movie if it popped up on TV uh, one day, uh, maybe if nothing else was on. All right, so uh, one segment I want to jump to here real quick. So uh, I just want to go through some of the Oscar nominations real quick for this movie. It was nominated for eight Oscars. It won four. Uh, it won an Oscar for uh, Best Actor in Supporting Role, Jason Robards, as I mentioned. Uh, best Writing, Screenplay for a Material Adapted from Another Medium, a.k.a. Best Adapted Screenplay. Uh, best Art Direction slash Set Direction, uh, and then Best Sound. And then it was nominated for four more, including Best Picture, Best Actress in a Supporting Role for Jane Alexander, Best Director for Alan J. Pakula, uh, and Best Film Editing for Robert L. Wolf. So the fun fact about this is it was nominated for Best Picture. It was the most nominated picture that year, and it won four. And the movie that it lost to in Best Picture was Rocky. <laughs> uh, that's right, Sylvester Stallone's big breakout role, Rocky. Uh, it's it's tough to compare now because Rocky, like it obviously became this big franchise, you know, six movies and then the Creed spinoffs, and it's become this whole thing. That's uh, and the movies get slightly more ridiculous every time. The new ones are all great. I haven't seen Rocky Balboa in a long time, uh, but both of the Creed movies with Michael B. Jordan are top-notch. I definitely give those a watch uh, while you're in quarantine. You know, I love the Rocky franchise as much as anyone. Uh, they do get a little ridiculous, though. Rocky IV is, an all, is my favorite one in the franchise, um, but 
you know, obviously that's not the kind of movie that's going to be winning Best Picture. So uh, it's weird to see how the movie, like Rocky has aged compared to how culturally important All the President's Men seems. Also nominated uh, for Best Movie that year, Taxi Driver. You could definitely make a case for that winning too. Uh, Taxi Driver is one of those movies that, again, it's kind of like this. I get the hype and I like it, but I just don't love it, if that makes sense. I I know that's an unpopular opinion. A lot of people say Taxi Drivers won a Scorsese's Best Movies. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and respectfully disagree. It's not one of my favorites of his. I think Robert De Niro is incredible in the movie. Uh, It's just something about it. I can't really put my finger on it. I'm sorry. Uh, It's just not my favorite Scorsese movie. It's not my cup of tea. All right, so we're going to get into the did you knows here. Uh, After I view every movie, first thing I do is go on the IMDb page, scroll down to the bottom uh, for each movie, and you can find a bunch of fun facts and did you knows and whatnot. Uh, I do it after every single movie I watch. I'd recommend you do the same. So I just kind of go through some of those and give my take. First one, uh, the two lead actors memorized each other's lines so that they could interrupt each other in character. This unsettled a lot of the other actors as they were playing opposite, leading to a greater sense of authenticity. Now, one of the best things about this movie is the chemistry between Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. Learning this fact now, it it's kind of, I wish I could go, I'm not going to go back and watch it and uh, double check, uh, but it, it was kind of cool because they do have that, their dialogue can be very frantic at points, especially when they're, uh, you know, trying to convince the editors and whatnot that this is, you know, a story that they need to pay attention to and they need to, you know, do this and do that. Uh, so it's very cool. Uh, and I mentioned earlier, you know, they're both great in this movie. It's tough to pick a lead. They're kind of, they're, they're co-stars uh, in the true sense of the word. All right, next up, uh, I thought this one was pretty interesting. Frank Willis, the security guard who discovered the Watergate break-in, was fired without explanation a few days later. He was out of work for three years until he had played himself one day's work in this film. He never had a full-time job again and died in 2000 at the age of 52. I'm going to call bullshit on that because uh, I saw another uh, film recently entitled Forced Gump where, you know, that's a story about the guy who really uncovered Watergate. Frank Willis, I call bullshit. I am on to you, sir. Uh, Final fact here. The film was originally rated R for its explicit language, uh, likely due to the infrequent use of the F word, a total of 10 utterances. Uh, It was subsequently re-rated PG, likely due to the historical significance of the subject matter. Not to bring up Zero Dark Thirty again, I think they should do the same thing. I think we need to make Zero Dark Thirty a, a PG movie. No, better yet, make it G. I want this to be a kids movie. I want Zero Dark Thirty on Disney+. Plus. I want them learning about in kindergarten, and I want them to all know about the amazing story of finding Osama bin Laden. Alright, uh, so finally, we're going to rate the movie. Scale of 1 to 5 hazmats, 5 being the best. Uh, I'm going to give this one... I'll give it 3.5 yeah, three and a half hazmats. We've been riding high on uh, a couple of fours here in a row, so we're going to bring it back down to three and a half. It's just, maybe it's just me, maybe it's just the mood I'm in, but this, uh, you know, just didn't really capture my attention uh, as much as I remember it doing. Maybe it's just because I already know what happens. Maybe I'm uh, all politicked out, so to speak, so... Well, that's going to wrap it up for this one. Thank you all for listening. Uh, Our next episode, we're going to have another guest on the show. Last time uh, we had a guest uh, was the 8 Mile episode. It went amazing. Uh, And I can't wait to do this next one. Uh, Our guest is actually going to be the one person that I can see and not feel guilty about seeing. 
which is my lovely girlfriend slash roommate, uh, Brenna Carney. She'll be on the podcast. We are talking about American Beauty. Uh, in the meantime, you can find us all across social media on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at Pod. Give us a follow. Uh, please. <laughs> please, no one's doing that yet. And, uh, you know, we could really use the numbers. That would be just neat. Um, you can find us anywhere uh, where podcasts are heard. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, you name it, we're there. But thanks for listening, everyone. Please stay inside. Stay safe. Social distancing. Uh, you start wearing masks if you're going out uh, to the store or something like that. But if you're not, stay inside, be a hero, watch a movie.